When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, everybody. It is Thursday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Back for our latest Zeiss is Right video with Paul Zeiss, uh, Post-Gazette Sports columnist. Paul, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I am, I'm hanging in there. I'm getting a little tired of the hot weather, ready for a little you know, crisp in the air. Um, but other than that, I'm doing well. Paul, we're going to get into some talk here about Steelers record predictions. You were calling about this on postgazette.com. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to give a quick shout out to our presenting sponsor, Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. There's no better place to get new windows and doors installed in your home than Pella, who can help you save on energy costs year round. Schedule a free in home consultation with your local Pella Windows and Doors to find the right product for your home and budget. Give them a call at 866 593 1560 to discuss your project further. That's 866 593 1560 to get started planning on your new windows and doors installation with Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. All right, Paul, let's get into it. You wrote you know, kind of your, your Steelers record predictions. Um, I submitted mine to the post because I think they'll be coming out later today, uh, right before this, you know, NFL opener between the chiefs and lions tonight. So, so let's just dig into it. What, where do you think that the Steelers are going to finish? Um, I'll give you a fixed record. And then I want to talk a little bit about upside and downside and, and what the possible spread of outcomes for this team could be. Uh, well, I mean, I do think that this is probably a good football team. And I do think that they probably are going to be a team that competes for the playoffs. Uh, I wrote about it in the, in the Post-Gazette. Like, you you know, I I think they're probably right around a 10-win team that, you know, uh, maybe, maybe if every possible thing goes right for them, they're an 11-win team. Um, but I don't necessarily know that they are legitimately a Super Bowl team. I have to see them play. I have to see them play four or five times and have to see them play against good teams. And guess what? If they beat the 49ers 45 to nothing on Sunday, it almost doesn't mean a thing to me because I I always say this, and, and I know people get upset when I say this, the first four weeks of the season are almost meaningless. Obviously it helps, you know, to, to gain wins or to, you know, to, towards your playoff and and all that other stuff. But because of the way that the the NFL teams are constructed and constructed nowadays because of, you know, how much they use rookies, uh, because of, you know, free agency, uh, because of the salary cap, the way the rosters turn over and all that other stuff. First three weeks, they're still trying to figure out who they are. So, I mean, I think beating the 49ers this week is good for the record. And it obviously is, it would be a good win. But to me, I just I have to see three, four, five weeks in a row uh, because then the league starts to settle in and you get a chance to start to see who's really what. You know, you see some teams get off to a fast start and then sort of level off and you see the opposite. So if you're asking me for a prediction, I'm going to I'm going to stick with 10 and seven. I think that's probably about where they're going to be. Ten wins, seven losses. Um, You know, I feel like they have a chance to win. You know, if they can get, can, can get to 11 wins, they'll probably win the AFC North. I mean, I think that's how close it's going to be. 
I think all four of those teams are really close. And like I wrote in that column, I could make the, just as strong of a case that the Steelers will win the division. I could make the case that they're going to finish fourth. Um, and, and it could be they finish fourth with nine or ten wins. That's that's what I think that division is going to be. Yeah, Paul, I have them at 10 and 7 as well in my official Post-Gazette predictions. Um, but I think it was Charlie Batch who was on the North Shore Drive with Christopher Carter on Wednesday who, who drew an interesting comparison to the 2005 Steelers who went on to win the Super Bowl. But a lot of people, you know, that team was not very good in the regular season, Paul, or at least it wasn't an obvious Super Bowl contender that they needed to win their last four games just to get into the playoffs. Um, you know, and then, and then they went on their run and they became a very good team, but that team through the course of the season was no world beater. Um, I, I could see a similar situation here where, and I've been saying this for, for two years now that, you know, I've been looking at the Steelers as a two-year project and where are they at the end of this season? I don't necessarily expect them to be, beat the 49ers this weekend. Right. But are you going to be a good team that can beat anyone in the AFC by the end of the season? So I kind of like that comparison by Charlie Batch because I think that's I think that's a reasonable expectation. You have a, a solid regular season. Maybe you're not you know perfect, but you go into the playoffs as a team that no one wants to play. You know I can see them being that. Paul, I'm not saying I think they're going to get to the Super Bowl, um, but I, I think they're going to be a tough out by the end, and and that there's a, there's upside at that end of the season if you can avoid some injuries. You know, the beauty of being able to look back on the course of time is the fact that people are so good at being able to revise history and create narratives that whatever the narrative is. The one, um, there's very few seasons, Adam, that drive me more crazy than the 2005, the story of the 2005 team, okay? The team had to win their last four games because they had a bunch of injuries in the middle of the season and they lost some games. They, they had, they had some really key injuries. They got healthy and guess what? They were the same team. It was 15 and one or whatever the year before. Okay. So, so, and it, this isn't on you. I'm just saying I, I, whenever someone talks about the 2005 season, it's almost like what did you actually not watch and remember the season? So they ended up winning their final four games, right? They went out and they played an Indianapolis Colts team that hadn't played a meaningful game in literally about five or six weeks, right? They jumped on them with a couple of passes and held on for dear life. That was a great upset. The next week they played, or actually was it was the week before they played Cincinnati. They were losing the game by 10 points, and then Kimo Von Olaf and breaks <laughs> – uh, what was the quarterback's name? I can't even think of his name. Their starting quarterback, who was actually pretty good, breaks his leg or whatever, takes him out. They come back and win that. They played a Denver team that was so ridiculously overrated. They were better than them. Jake Plummer, I think, was the quarterback, right? My point is, every they, A, that team was really, really, really good. Who they, they just had some injuries during the season. You know, they kind of held them back a little bit record-wise. And then they had some real key breaks, and that has to happen. So I don't compare this team to that team because I don't think that when you look at this team, there's enough of a precedent to say, hey, yeah, they're, they're a really, really good football team, right? They weren't 14-1 and one or 15-1 and one or whatever it was last year and, 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 and got the AFC title game. Um, but to your point, the one thing that I could see happening with this team, because they do have a lot of young players, they do have a lot of new parts, they do have, you know, some growing to do. 
I can absolutely see where, you know, maybe they're they're not quite as good early on in the season and they take some time to find their footing, right? And then they get on a run and they get it, they do enough to get in the playoffs. And then once they're in the playoffs, they're one of the hottest teams that, that are in the playoffs. But um, you know, we have to see if that's going to happen. I mean, a lot of it depends on the quarterback. Uh, a lot of it depends on listen, they basically rebuilt their defense in a lot of ways. If you think about it, right? They have a new, one new safety, two new corners, two new uh, linebackers, right? At least one new uh, defensive line. Uh, you look at when they go to their sub packages, there's a whole bunch of uh, guys that, you know, that they brought in. It could take them a little bit of time uh, to develop into the team that everybody thinks they're going to be. Uh, but that, and that could mean they lose a game or two more than maybe uh, we think they will. But that, that, that's why I, I say probably 10 and seven, and we'll see how they're playing at the end of the year before we really figure out if they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Yeah, I, th- I think that's kind of substantively where I was, was going, Paul, is can you peak at the right time and, and can you figure things out and, and be, you know, a Super Bowl caliber team, regardless of what happens in the, re- whether it's injuries, whether it's anything else, can you be a good time, a good team when it matters? And, and I think, you know, I can kind of see that upside and I'm not saying Super Bowl, but um, you know, I could see them winning around and, and maybe, you know, play, being right there for another one where they, you know, a couple plays determine whether they win the game, maybe get to an AFC championship, something like that. Um, Paul, there's been some talk at your radio station about them going 13 and four, um, <laughs> winning the Super Bowl, being better than the Chiefs. I believe that was Andrew Filipponi. Um, what is the spread of outcomes you can imagine here? What is what is the worst case scenario in your mind? Let's say they have a couple key injuries. How bad could this team be? And what is the absolute, you know, if, if if they really play to the, you know, maximum of what they have on that roster every single week, um, can they win 13 games? What, where, what's the spread of outcomes you see for this? I'd say 8 to 12. 8 wins to 12 wins is what their range is. Uh, if everything goes well, they do really a lot, I think probably uh, 12 and 5, you know, if they, if they avoid injuries and all that other stuff. If they have some key things happen to them, on the other side, I still think the roster is pretty deep, and they're probably good enough that they're going to win at least eight games. Um, so I would say eight to twelve. I think what's interesting, Adam, is they might be the one team, and I have to think about it in the AFC, where I don't necessarily think an injury to their starting quarterback changes their their outcome all that much. And that's not no disrespect at all to Kenny Pickett. But I think what they, I, I think Mitch Trubisky is good enough that they, they could win games, especially the way they want to play, you know, running the football, controlling the ball, playing great defense, you know, trying to win the kicking game and all the other stuff, stuff that we used to talk about in the 1970s about football, right? That doesn't mean that. And, and the other thing is, I think Mitch Trubisky is probably a better athlete than Kenny Pickett. And I think Pickett's a really good athlete, but. You know, then all of a sudden you bring the quarterback run game in a little bit. And we saw the one time when Kenny, uh, when Mitch Trubisky came in last year and, and, you know, created a little spark with his, with his ability to run and, 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 and whatnot. But if you look at the other teams, you know, if Kansas City, San Diego, I'm not San Diego, the, the Kansas City, the Chargers, uh, even the Jets, right? The Bills, I mean, the Ravens. The be- uh, the Bengals, the uh, Jacksonville, the best teams, they're a quarterback injury away from going away. 
You know what I mean? I don't know that the Steelers are that. And I think that's uh, a good thing, uh, but it could also be a bad thing because it might mean that, you know, the Steelers don't have an elite level quarterback capable of winning games uh, and whatnot uh, and putting the team on his shoulders uh, when they need him to. So it's a, it's a, it's one of the most intriguing seasons I can remember. Uh, I'm really excited to kind of see it because I, I, I don't really 100% know what we're going to, you know, what we're going to see. I think it's going to be really good, but I have to see it first. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same place, Paul. I think, especially with Kenny Pickett, you know, does he have the, a lot of people seem to think he it does based on that preseason, but I don't know that the preseason changed my perception that he still has a lot to prove. And that's not to say that I don't think he can get there and I don't think he can be a, a very good quarterback, but um, you know, I got to see it for more than a couple of drives at the end of those Raiders and Ravens games last year. And the preseason's not going to change that for me, which is why, I, you know, that's why I kind of settle out at 10 and 7. I think there's a lot of people in town that think they're going to be a lot better than that. And, you know, I'm not like committed enough to say like, oh, they're definitely not good enough to win any more than 10 games. And like, that's, yeah, I think, you know, I'm not committed to 10 and 7 as this is the only possible outcome here. I just think that that's probably in the, we're talking about these ranges. I think when you said 8 to 12, 10's right in the middle, and that's what makes sense to me. Uh, Paul, we're going to get into some colleges here a look for a little bit. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff going on this week after week one. Uh, before we do, just want to give a shout-out to another sponsor, Goldberg, Persky, and White. If you were diagnosed with mesothelioma or lung cancer, call your local attorneys at Goldberg, Persky, and White. For over 40 years, their firm has represented thousands of lung cancer and mesothelioma victims. Call 1-800-COMPLEX or visit gplaw.com for a free consultation. That's gpwlaw.com, excuse me. Um, Paul, Pitt, Penn State, both looked pretty good this past weekend. Penn State triumphs over West Virginia in Happy Valley in the primetime game. Uh, Pitt takes care of business against Wofford. Um, what did you see from – let's let's start with Penn State because I think they played the bigger game. They're on the bigger stage at number seven in the polls. What did you think of Drew Aller? And, and does he – we talked about this on our Penn State podcast with Seth Engel – is he the best quarterback back in the Big Ten? Or does he have the ability to be just based on what you saw the other night? Uh, well, not having seen most of the other quarterbacks, I, I mean, I would say he has the ability to be. He's pretty good. Um, again, and this is something that Penn Staters didn't want to hear from me the other night. Uh, but, you know, when I hear people uh, lavishing all this praise, and I can't believe that they kept Clifford around last year when they had this guy. As I always say, he will be judged by beating Ohio State and Michigan. Those are the two teams that they have not been able to beat, period. And you know what, Clifford, if Sean Clifford was the quarterback the other night, they would have won probably just as easily as they did because the bottom line is Clifford was really good at winning games and winning the games he was supposed to win. So, uh, I do think I, I watched Ohio State. I was not impressed with their guy. What's his name? Their kid. I thought I was not McCord. impressed. Yeah, McCord. not impressed at all with him. I, I don't know. Maybe he just was was a little bit off. Uh, I saw a little bit of Rutgers, believe it or not. And well, I mean, Rutgers and Northwestern um, were, were, are just two dreadful teams. Uh, I saw a little bit of Michigan, and um, you know, to your point, I. I think he has a chance to be the best in the Big Ten, absolutely. Uh, but he's got to do a whole hell of a lot more before we, do, we, we we give him that crown. 
Yeah, it's just, you know, Paul, the zip on the ball, uh, the ability to, to climb the pocket like he did on that touchdown throw to Andre Lambert-Smith. Um, he did things that I, I don't think Sean Clifford could do. And, and I agree with you. They probably win that game no matter which of the two is at quarterback. The thing, I, the argument that I made all of last season was, you know, sometimes it's three or four plays that, that can determine a game. And I never quite had the confidence that, you know, we were just talking about with Kenny Pickett. Can he put the team on his back and go win a game that matters? Um, you know, I never had that confidence with Sean Clifford. I'm pretty quickly getting it with with Drew Aller. I'll tell you, I, the first time I saw him throw a long ball against Ohio last season, I said, this guy is different. And, and so, um, you know, that's why I, I'm optimistic, I, I think. The, the situation with J.J. McCarthy at Michigan, he's got a lot more, you know, decoration. He's a lot more decorated. But, um, you know, I think Drew Aller has the skill to get there. Um, do you think there's anyone who's not Ohio State or Michigan that can challenge Penn State at this point? Or is it just those are going to be the only two real games of Penn State season? Um, yeah, I mean, do they play Iowa? Do, do yes, they have, I don't they, that'll, that'll always be that. That's a – that's a little bit of a grinder of a game. I mean, I, I would think they'll beat them, you know, go, you know they'll, they'll beat them. But there, there's a weird matchup thing there. Um, but other than that, no. I mean, I, I don't I mean, I don't think anybody else in the Big Ten is going to challenge them. And and quite frankly, they, they <laughs> player for player, they look as good as Ohio State and Michigan to me. So now they have the quarterback in place. I'm not sure, you know, that that it's a foregone conclusion that they'll lose those games. Uh, and to me, um, you know, I, I, I think we're talking at worst the team is going to be ten and two, and probably they're not going to be ten and two. I think they're going to win one of their Ohio State or Michigan games to get to eleven and one. And then the question is, will the right combination of things happen so that they can, you know, get to the uh, Big Ten championship game at eleven and one with one of those losses like that? So we'll see. But to your point, no, I don't see anybody challenging them in the Big Ten. And, you know, the Big Ten has really been a, a two-team league with Penn State sort of being 3A, you know, 2A or whatever. I mean, uh, you know, and, and it's sort of been those two, maybe Penn State a little bit. And then after that, there's a little bit of a drop-off to whoever has been next, Wisconsin or, you know, whatever those teams are. So um, I'm sure there will be one or two games, Adam, that are a little close for comfort just because it's college football and that's the nature of it. You're not going to go through and have 12 blowouts, but I'll be stunned if the only, if it, I'll be stunned if other than Ohio state and Michigan, they had, they're in danger of really like losing any other game that on their schedule. Yeah, I think that's fair. I picked them to go 11 and one and I didn't see anything on Saturday night that would change that. Paul, what did you see anything from Pitt? Um, in that in that opener against Wofford that, that caught your eye. Obviously, you're gonna you're gonna beat that team badly. Uh, but were there any guys that, that that stood out to you in that game? Well, I, I'm gonna say this, Adam. As you know, and you're a football fan, and you're a college football fan, so I don't have to explain this to you. There are different levels of FCS teams. There are different levels of even like the lower level MAC teams versus the top of the MAC teams, right? So. When people say, oh, we have a MAC opponent, well, what does that mean, right? Are you, are you talking about the top of the MAC or the bottom of the MAC, right? Because there's a big, big gap. And I would say the same thing about FCS. You know, Pitt has played Youngstown State in the past. Youngstown State has traditionally been a pretty good FCS team, right? 
uh, get a lot of Ohio State transfers, get a lot of guys that, you know, they've been actually a pretty good FCS team. Pitt's played Villanova in the past. Villanova traditionally has been a pretty good FCS team, right? They've they've uh, gotten to the playoffs, and they've got a pretty good program and this and that and everything. Remember the one year Pitt played a team called Furman from the South, and they had Ingle Martin, who was at Florida the year before, and they had a bunch of other guys from the SEC. They were a really good team and took Pitt to overtime. In those games, even games that Pitt won sort of going away, there was usually a conclusion I could draw from, you know, hey, it looked like this, it looked like that. When I say it looked like a, a college team playing against a high school team, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily being unfair. I mean, Pitt's offensive line was just road grading a bunch of guys who were not big enough. You know what I mean? The linebackers weren't fast enough. The, uh, the, 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 the uh, Wofford offense was terrible. The quarterback is okay, I guess, for that level. I have no idea. I'm just telling you, Adam, I watched that and I said to myself, I have every question I had about Pitt on Friday, I had on Saturday after the game. I didn't learn a single thing about Pitt in that game. Other than they're better than a really bad FCS team. Other than that, I didn't learn a single thing about it. And, 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 and I'll say this too. This thing that Pat Narduzzi does where he goes vanilla and, you know, one doesn't want to show his offense when they play these FCS teams is silly, okay? First of all, Frank Signetti has, thir- what, what do they have, 13 or 14 yeah, games of film on Frank Signetti from last year is what Cincinnati was able to watch to kind of figure out what pit offense is about. But on top of that, they have film of Frank Signetti at Boston College with Phil Dracovic. So to me, right, uh, because that's always the thing when Pitt, you know, because Pitt doesn't look good in a lot of these games, right? They, they The game, remember the game before they played Penn State, they almost lost, I think Villanova, I think it was, right? The game when they won, when they beat Penn State. The week before they played, I think it was Villanova. And they had this really vanilla game plan because they didn't want to show anything to James Franklin. I mean, it's ridiculous. So when I tell you that I learned absolutely nothing about Pitt, I really mean I learned nothing about Pitt. I'll be interested to watch them play a varsity team this year, this week. And then we'll be able to have a conversation where I'll be able to give you an idea of what I think about some of the changes that happened on defense because they lost a lot of talent on defense, right? Um, I'll be able to talk about Phil Dracovic. I mean, he looked okay to me, I guess. It was almost, again, I, I think they would have been better off playing a blue goal game, and I'm not being facetious when I say this. But I said this, and people got upset with me, and they thought I was trying to diss Pitt. I'm not. I'm just telling you there's different levels to these FCS teams, and when you play a really bad one, I, I just don't I don't know what to make of it. I just don't. Maybe I'm not that smart. I don't know. What did you, What are your thoughts? Yeah, I didn't get to see the game, Paul. I was driving up to Happy Valley to see that game, so I'm 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 right there with you. I, I agree with whatever you're saying about you know the quality of the opponent. Let me ask you about this. But but but, but it's not just the quality, Adam. The size difference was ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. On, the, on the defensive line, I mean, and and I, and I, I, I when I say I'm not trying to be you know I'm not trying to be disparaging of Wofford, but when Pitt was on offense, their offensive line against. Their offensive line against the Wofford front seven looked like a, a college team against a high school team. 
I mean, again, and, and, and that's why Pitt was able to be vanilla and just run the ball and run it, you know, run it whenever they wanted to. And, you know, Phil ran a couple of times and, you know, I, I just, it, it, football is such a game of matchups. You know, it's not about playing one double A teams. I don't have a problem with teams that want to open the season with one game like that. I wasn't trying to rip Pitt for playing the game. I'm just telling you that that team stinks. And so it was hard to, you know, I mean, it's it's just hard to figure out what it what it all meant. Paul, what do you think of these next three games though? Because I think they're going to tell us a lot. You have Cincinnati, then West Virginia, and then North Carolina, which which got a big win against South Carolina this past weekend. Um, who of those three do you think is the toughest, and how many of those games do you think Pitt wins? Well, I mean, I think North Carolina is the best of those three teams. There's no question about it. I. I Listen, but first time I went to a pit football game was in 1979. I mean, I hate sounding like that old guy, okay? And I'm just going to tell you, so that gives you a perspective how long I've been watching pit football. Something weird happens quite often when they go down to Morgantown. So although North Carolina is the best team they're playing of the three, and that's going to be a, a hell of a, be- a football game. I think the toughest game they play is probably going to be in Morgantown. Um, I just think that, you know, the atmosphere down there, the crowd, the fans, the, you know, the fact that it's a hostile environment, all that other stuff. I don't even think West Virginia is all that good. I just going to, going to tell you. I've been in that building far too many times when weird things just happen to the, you know, I mean, to Pitt. Um, and so um, that to me is going to be the toughest of the three games. Cincinnati lost. First of all, they lost a bunch of uh, uh, players from last year. They graduated a bunch of guys. Uh, they obviously lost Luke Fickle. It'll be a, it'll be an interesting game, but I think Pitt should win it and, and probably win it somewhat comfortably. Like it won't it won't shock me if we're talking about a game that's like say you know twenty seven to seventeen or something like that right twenty four to fourteen where it's 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 competitive and it's close but pit you know scores late or whatever to sort of pull away those other two games though they're going to be really really difficult assignments and I think if Pitt gets through this stretch two and one or better it's a really good sign for them honestly um, because I don't know that the rest of the ACC, other than when they play Florida State and then Duke, you know, we're talking maybe, and then, but they also have Notre Dame. So we're talking about if you can get through this two and one, you probably have a good chance of finishing nine and three if you, if you, you know, if you play well. So, um, but that's going to be a tough assignment, I think, because playing down in Morgantown is not easy and North Carolina is a pretty good football team. Yeah, and you know the West Virginia players are going to be hyped up uh, to prove themselves against Pitt. Paul, I want to get a little bit into some national headlines from the week. Um, the Deion Sanders discourse is going to roll on. We're not going to be able to avoid it. Um, you know, and I don't necessarily have a problem with what Deion Sanders did. He had a terrible team. He told a bunch of players who weren't good enough that you're not good enough. Go, you know, get on with your life's work. But what what's kind of mind melting for me was listening to the discourse after Clemson lost the other night and people ranting that, Oh man, Clemson should have done the same thing. Dion did purge the roster because they weren't good enough last year or the year before. 
Um, and I just feel like the, the Deion Sanders effect and, and this, this idea that you're supposed to turn over huge chunks of your roster, I think that model only worked at a place like Colorado. I don't think Deion Sanders, if they're good this season, is going to walk into that locker room and say, you know, let's, let's say they go like they win seven, eight games, which would be a huge improvement from where they were. Do you think Deion Sanders is going to go tell 40, 50 guys to get lost from that team? No, he built a better team, and I am, I'm really sick of the the already of the conversation of what the implications are of what Deion Sanders did and what it means for college football in this this transfer portal era. Well, it's only one game. That too, yeah, that too. <laughs> like uh, you know, the, and again, Nebraska offensively is terrible, but their defense is really good, Adam. Their defense is really good. Matt Roll is a really good coach. And I'm going to tell you this much right now. If, that, if they can get a couple of chunk plays on offense, it won't shock me if we're talking about a game in the fourth quarter where it's, you know, going down to the wire and nitty-gritty, right? And if that happens, anything can happen. Even though Nebraska, you know, cornered the market on losing close games, my point is – I know what I know that you know Colorado now is the flavor of the month and everybody's it's one game. And here's the other thing. I'll be interested to see how good the kid is that played 139 snaps in a, on turf that was 130 degrees last Saturday. I'll be interested to see if that team is fatigued a little bit. And and lost in all of the hype of it all is that TCU should have won the game. They were their own worst enemy. And they did almost whatever they wanted to do against Colorado's defense, especially running the football, which in Nebraska has actually, you know, got a decent running game. So my point is let's pump the brakes on all the Colorado stuff. Now, to your larger point, the thing about being at, at, at Colorado is that it's going to be a short-term thing. Dion, listen, you cannot do what he's doing. And if he's going to do this thing where everybody that's not good enough every single year he gets rid of and tries to turn it over that way, well, I hope he has a whole bunch of more. I hope he has a whole bunch more uh, sons in his family, you know, because that's the other part of it. He happened to his son happens to be a stud quarterback, and that changes everything. Uh, but I agree with you that this thing where the whole world is going to change because of Deion Sanders and what he's done. It, it, there's a there's a lightning in the bottle effect here where if you go out and you try and get 85 or 90 guys or whatever it was, you know what? A, you're probably not Deion Sanders, which means you're probably not going to get the kind of guys you need to win. And B, you're probably not going to be as successful if you don't find a quarterback like he has. Um, Clemson, on the other hand, and the thing I will say, Adam, Dabo Swinney has been sort of the last, you know, I'm not going to go into the transfer portal. We got our own guys and all this other stuff. I don't think that's the right approach anymore. I don't think you can win that way anymore. And I think it's going to hurt his program if he doesn't try and understand. I mean, if you look at Florida State, for instance, right, this is what's hilarious. If you look at Florida State um, and, and you look at Colorado, everybody talks about Colorado. I want to say Florida State, the number was something like 19 of their 22 starters were transfers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
So, I mean, there, there, there's a balance in between the two, but the reality of the situation is when I look at uh, Clemson versus Colorado, the model has to be somewhere in between. But if Deion Sanders wins a few more games, if they go to get, get to like three or four and oh, Adam, you think you're sick of it now? Wait until then. And, and again, I think one of the things administrators will start to have these real unrealistic expectations. Like, hey, well, why can't my football coach just go and do that, right? Well, we can win next year. There's no reason you can't win next year. It, it, again, if it if it is a, if it's a successful season for Colorado to the point where you know they win nine or ten games, you almost have to say it's a bit of a fluke. Right, and it's the exception, not the rule. That's that's well, that's that's just the way I would look at it. And there's only one. I think there's only one person in college football who could do it that way, Paul. And that's that's Deion Sanders. Right. I think you know there, there's. You think Al Golden's going to get a coaching job and flip over any <laughs> play? You know what I mean? It's, right. Like I, I don't see that happening. And um, yeah, it's. I think the 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 discourse about the transfer portal is so frustrating to me because it's a zero sum game. There's only so many players in the transfer portal. They're only. It's not like every team can rebuild themselves in the transfer portal. Right, right. Some good players, they're going to go to some programs, and that's the way it's going to work. And, and you know, it doesn't always work out either, Paul, because look at Dante Cephas up at Penn State. You know, a lot of people thought he was going to be their number one receiver immediately. He was one of the best players, you know, a lot of people thought in that transfer portal, and he's barely in the rotation up there right now. And that doesn't mean that he can't be useful at some point once he gets a little more used to the Big Ten level of competition. But – um yeah, I think it's just going to be – It's to me, it's all recruiting, Paul. Whether they're high school kids, right. whether they're college kids, it's all recruiting. Are you a good recruiter? I think Deion Sanders is a good recruiter because and he's I, Deion Sanders, and that's a lot of what we're seeing here. Right, and I think there's a good mix. Like Florida State, you know, they, he's, he's, he's signed big recruiting classes, but the bottom line is he knew he had to win immediately. So he's added in the you know transfers that he, like the, the the receiver that went crazy the other day that kid was from Michigan State he was a transfer right the quarterback was a transfer you know a couple of years ago I mean there, there's a number of guys that you have to bring in to uh, I I think the days of trying to do the Dabo Swinney thing where we're just going to recruit really good players and people pointed out that Dabo's got like 52 four and five star kids and Again, it's hard to win that way. All of your guys have to – you have to hit lightning in a bottle with all of your guys, basically, right? All of your recruits, you can't have too many mistakes. They all have to sort of grow up together. You know, there's so many different ways now you can build a roster. <clears throat> what Deion Sanders is doing is, 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 is fiction in so many ways. But you can't, you can't just be one of these, well – I'm philosophically opposed to the, the transfer portal, so therefore I'm not going to look at it. Well, if you're going to do that, you're probably going to be an unemployed coach at some point. Yeah, well, let's let's pull at that Dabo thread a little bit more. What I mean, what happened down there, Paul? Is it just that that he has been, you know, has fallen in love? I, I kind of think of those 2016 Pirates who fell in love with their own process so much that yes, they 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 refused to keep adapting. Is that's what is that's what happening with him? Where he he's just He's so convinced of his own morality and and that he's right that that he can't see anything else and especially now that those those great assistants he had were gone that that maybe he's just really not that special a coach right now. Dabo Swinney. Well, the other part of it is you know it's amazing how much different your life is when you've got Deshaun Watson, 
uh, or uh, Trevor Lawrence or those guys. That's that's part of it. Like I said with Dion, right? If Dion's son wasn't a really good quarterback, would, would you know what would we be talking about here? Because um, there's not that many great great quarterbacks out there. But here's the thing with Dabo. Dabo is the guy, right? When he retires, when he walks away. You ever hear that song by Frank Sinatra, My Way? You know, I did it my way. He wants to be that guy that sits there and sings, you know, uh, sings, I, I did it my way. I did, everybody did it their own way and this and that. And everyone said I had to do this and that. But I never, ever came to that. I did it my way, you know. And, and of course, he would add that line from the song where he says, and I might add, not in a shy way. That's him. That is Dabo Swinney to a T. He is a guy that is, you know, like you said, his own morality, his own, these are the rules, these are the ways that, this is the way that college football is supposed to be. So I'm going to do it this way and prove that you don't have to do all this stuff and you don't have to go through all this. And, and the other part of it is, if you remember, he had that nonsensical take about NIL. Do you remember that? When he said, oh, well, the only the only NIL that this program is built in is name, image, and likeness of Christ or something like that. <laughs> well, that's great, and that's good, and I'm glad that your kids are, ba- are born in the likeness of Christ, but you better pay them some money because that's the other part is Clemson has fallen behind in that area too. So, it, it, you know, Devo Swinney has a choice, okay? And I would point to the guy right down the street here, Pat Narduzzi who's an old school guy who railed against transfers and rails against law, you know, is a loyalty guy and railed against uh, uh, NIL and all that other stuff. Do you notice how Pitt has not only embraced the NIL thing, but they've taken it to another level. They have no problem going into the transfer portal and getting players and building the program. Do you want to know why? Because above and beyond everything else, Pat, so Pat Narduzzi is a survivor and a smart guy and understands if he doesn't do those things, his program is over. So Davo's got a choice to make. He can continue to try and be Frank Sinatra and do it his way, or he can understand that you can't do it that way anymore, that, that you, you have to keep up with the times. Paul, quickly before we sign off here, right before we started recording, we found out Andrew McCutcheon is out for the rest of the season for the Pirates. Um, I guess I'll ask a two-part question here of A. Was 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 his season, was his return to Pittsburgh the success you hoped it would be, um, that you thought it could be? And B, you know, what's the future here? Should he be back? Does he fit into where this team is at least trying to go? I don't know if we know yeah. if it's going to get there at this point, but does he fit into – does he fit into the Pirates in 2024? Is, is there a role for him here, or should this be the swan song? That's a great question. I actually uh, asked Josh Roundtree when I was leaving the studio. I said, Have, is it the last time we see him in a, in a Pirates uniform? I'll be honest with you, Adam. I think they could squeeze one more year out of him if he wants to come back and play. I think he did enough for them this year. I think there were, you know, there was enough of, you know, the kind of player that you want from a veteran that you could probably bring him back and you could get him and maybe get a couple of reps in the outfield here and there and use him as a DH and, and whatnot. The caveat to that is this. What do you do with Henry Davis? 
because I, I, I'm starting to believe that the, the only place you're really going to get at bats for him is DH because he stinks in the field. So if you have plans of having him be a DH, is it going to make sense to have a guy like McCutcheon who's going to take away a lot of at bats from him, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I think they need to figure out that whole situation. Uh, but I wouldn't be – I wouldn't hate the idea of McCutcheon coming back for one more year uh, in a role similar to what he did this year because I do think he added something to them. Uh, you know, I think he I think he hit well enough that you, you can justify bringing him back. I think the fact that he's a veteran presence in a, in a, in a locker room that gets – seems to seemingly gets younger every single day. Um, I, I don't have a problem with that. I, what I don't want, however – uh, I don't want to see the Carlos Santana, Rich Hill, all that other nonsense. I don't want to see any more of those signings. We're, we should be beyond that. If they're signing free agents for next year, they should be guys that they really believe are going to be on the roster for the whole entire season. They're going to help them win, right? Go get a first baseman that's going to help you win, not a guy that is old and you know at the trade deadline you can trade. Uh, so to me, I, I'll give them McCutcheon because he's McCutcheon. And because I think that his role would be limited enough where I don't know that he's blocking anything. And I think it could be, could be a valuable player in that role, but I don't want to see a whole bunch of other guys like that. There's no reason to bring them to start signing those guys. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this, Paul McCutcheon was saying the other night, oh, I'm fine. I'll be back. Um, you know, he seemed, he seemed pretty intent on playing again. I feel like they wouldn't have shut him down and he wouldn't have allowed himself to be shut down. If there was not some level of intention about next season, and saying, "Hey, we're going to bring you back. You're, you're going to get a chance to say goodbye." Um, you know, I, I, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting. I could be wrong. Yeah. If you'd told me before the season McCutcheon was going to come back here, I would have told you you were crazy. Um, but you know, I, I kind of feel like this is not the way he wants to go out, and and that it wouldn't have gone down this way if the intention was for this to be over. But you know, we'll see. I think to your point, I'm a little bit more skeptical about what where he fits with what they have. And, and what should happen. I think what should happen is you should be ready to move on from him. Right. But I don't know that they're there. And 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 that's, I think, a problem in the big picture. But I think it's going to make people happy that they might get one more year of catch. Any final thoughts, Paul, before we sign off here? No, I think we've uh, gotten along, gotten around a, a long way. And uh, we've, we've talked about a lot of different things. It's, it's always a good time, my man. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to having some, you know, an actual Steelers game to talk to you about. Just a reminder – Paul and I will be going live after the Steelers and 49ers game on Sunday at Acrisure Stadium. Paul will be in the press box. I'll be here at home. And we're going to break down the game for at least 30 minutes, maybe go a little bit longer, maybe hear from some Ray Fittipaldos, some Brian Backos after the game. So I'm looking – This that's where we started doing this, Paul. Our videos was, was the live streams last season. I'm looking forward to getting back into it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Adam, we'll do it, we'll do it Sunday. Take care, everybody. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette.